Blanketed in a thick haze, a public health emergency was declared in Delhi as air quality dropped to its lowest recorded level this year on Sunday. In most areas of the city and surrounding areas, the air quality index breached the 999 mark, which, according to experts, is akin to smoking 40 to 50 cigarettes a day. Air pollution driven by climate change in China will only get worse, leading to even more deaths on top of the current 1 million air pollution-related deaths every year. This is what a red alert for smog looks like in Beijing. The haze is so thick that the buildings over there are barely visible. Most people are not outdoors, and if they are, many of them are wearing masks. The pollution level right now is 12 times what the WHO considers unhealthy. In 2017, China released 9.84 billion tons of carbon dioxide emissions. The United States followed them with 5.27 billion tons. Then, beating even Russia, a country 5.2 times larger, was India with 2.47 billion tons. Climate change has come a long way since 2012, and even from 2017, but the road ahead doesn't get shorter. We have a long ways to go. Hi, we're Colonists, a bunch of high school students from Muscatine, Iowa, trying to make a dent in the universe. And this is our podcast. Locally Global! My name is Caroline, and welcome back to Locally Global. Climate change is rapidly changing the world that we live in, and Goal 13 is designed to take action. Climate action. I'm going to tell you just how you can take action by doing more than just turning off your kitchen light. Sustainable Development Goal 13 is climate action. The overarching goal is to take urgent action to tackle climate change and its impacts through adaptation to natural disasters, national and international policy and planning, and education on mitigation and climate change awareness. Since I don't have quite enough time to solve all the world's problem, the question I'm most intrigued by is this. How can countries and people around the world use national and international policy and education of their citizens to reverse climate change? So one of the main goals for climate action is to reduce global temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And in order to reach this goal, carbon dioxide emissions have to decrease by 45% from their levels in 2010. The thing that most people don't know is that a lot of countries are really making an effort. They're putting policies in place and making plans and using the Paris Agreement as a guideline. The problem is that some countries is not enough countries. In order to reach the big overarching goals, the big emitters like the United States and China, who together are responsible for 45% of the world's emissions, have to start making some big moves in the right direction. Even when emissions are ranked per capita or per person, the United States emissions are still ranked at the third largest. But you can take action to combat this. That was a lot of information, but the rundown is this. Climate change is happening, and it is rapidly affecting people everywhere, from the developing countries to developed countries, poor to rich nations. And the question is this, what is your nation doing to take action? Better yet, what are you doing to take action? And furthermore, is it enough?
Here's what you probably already know about climate change. There are better alternatives. Hydropower, wind power, solar power, the list goes on. But these alternatives are more expensive than coal power or other fossil fuels. So big companies and corporations tend to not use them. They might also say that by switching to different energy sources, they would put the workers that harvest those fossil fuels out of business. There is a solution to both of these things, and it's this. By setting long-term goals enforced with incentives or regulations, we can motivate companies and corporations to switch to more environmentally friendly and renewable resources. It gives these businesses time to switch slowly so that those who harvest or transport fossil fuels aren't completely put out of business. And it gives those employees time to find new jobs, maybe even in the renewable resource sector, which will require a lot of the same jobs, as well as construction and manufacturing jobs for building renewable resource equipment. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Well, we as conservatives need to make it apparent that climate change doesn't have to just follow within the progressive footsteps, that there are conservative types of policies on climate change that can be addressed, that can talk about markets, innovation, economic opportunity, and limited government, not no government, but a limited government approach to these issues. We've done a really poor job of messaging this in the past, and it's led us to this stalemate politically on an issue like climate change, which should be bipartisan, which should be something that both sides come together on. A lot of the resistance to climate action is due to the unpredictable impact it will have on the economy. That's why setting long-term goals is so important. Goal 13 says that they want to get temperatures down to 1.5 degrees Celsius globally by 2030, and the Paris Agreement says 2050, and here's why. We have to give companies and businesses time to make upgrades and time to convert their machinery for more environmentally aware production and emission-decreasing equipment as well as give them reason to do it, which is where incentives and regulations come in. If there are rewards and repercussions for companies and businesses to upgrade their equipment, they're more likely to switch over to renewable energy or even just cleaner emission-releasing technology. Another option is putting a price on carbon. By taxing carbon, making it more expensive, big corporations will more willingly take renewable and clean sources into consideration as it'll be more cost-efficient to them. If we follow the guidelines set by the Paris Agreement, then we have until 2050 to get our emissions down, which still means it will be expensive and difficult, but it will be spread out across 30 years of progress. We all know what companies are interested in, profit. So making updates that will cost them millions of dollars are not high on their priority list. Each of these gives it a reason to be. All three of these plans require the same thing, government action but they aren't going to take the steps on their own. You have to take action. They have to be pushed by the people. The kind of individual action that needs to take place is the kind that forces the government to take action, whether it be protesting or even just showing our support for international policy, like the Paris Agreement. Are you familiar with the Paris Agreement? Let me clue you in. It's a climate action plan created by members of the United Nations to combat climate change and adapt to its impact, while assisting developing countries to do the same. The Paris Agreement is one example of international planning. Unfortunately, it isn't doing very much, as it has no way to motivate those that sign the agreement. 
there are no real repercussions for not following the guidelines. But here's where we come in. Here's where you can take action. I interviewed the climate change program officer from the Stanley Foundation, whose headquarters are here in my hometown, Muscatine. His name is Ray Tang. Tang's job at the Stanley Foundation is to advance international policy and action taken by other countries to pursue the 1.5 goal I described earlier. I spoke with him about several aspects of climate change, how the Stanley Foundation goes about advancing policy, and what we can do to do the same. And this is what he said. Climate change is a really overwhelming issue. So there's lots of ways that you can that you can address it or get into it. And I think no matter what angle you have, if it's the right fit for you, you know, you should pursue it that way. I think that looking at it from say the role of the United Nations and the institutions around that, what is really interesting is seeing how non-state actors, um, some national actors, so these are like businesses, um, states, cities, taking action, showing up at UN climate negotiation, telling the countries, you know, we want you to take action, we're taking action, we're providing opportunities to be free to take action, we're actually going faster than you in many cases, and that kind of bringing an extra amount of momentum and energy to the political process. Maybe you didn't hear him, so let me say it again. Businesses, cities, states, are showing up to UN climate negotiations and telling their countries to take action. Developed countries should be providing finance and assistance uh, for developing countries to be able to make their transitions or adapt to the impacts of climate change. And what is really interesting in the international negotiations is seeing countries that really are kind of the least responsible but are the most impacted. So these are certain island countries, Marshall Islands, for example. They've been taking really significant leadership roles in bringing countries together and and developing consensus and also pushing for the highest amount of action. So the Paris Agreement provides a framework for that. By standing with the Paris Agreement, we can hold our own countries accountable. This is how we, how you, can take action. I know that we're told that we should turn off our lights and shower instead of use the bath, and those things are great. But are they enough? The answer is no. What might be enough is telling our city governments, and then our state governments, and then our national governments, that we want a cleaner, safer environment. Not too long ago, the people of Muscatine told their city government what they wanted. The Green Processing Corporation, or GPC, located in the south end of Muscatine, employs hundreds of members of our community. But in 2012, a class action suit began where residents of the community living in the area surrounding GPC came forward with complaints of the smoke and the odor that was coming from the factory. Then, 200 more people filed similar claims in 2015. Some even complained of asthma and reoccurring bronchitis due to the air quality of where they lived, confirmed by doctors. I remember driving through town, and my mom and my grandmother would both close up the windows whenever we got anywhere close to the factory, because the smell really was nauseating. It took six long years. A solution was finally reached. GPC would be required to get their equipment up to state regulation standards, and they would pay $45 million to cover 14,000 class member claims from anyone living in the surrounding area of the factory. They then agreed to pay an additional $6.5 million on pollution controls at the plant. Why does this matter? This case is important because it shows that you can take action and it can pay off. It took six years, but it finally paid off for the citizens of Muscatine. And all they did was fight for state regulations to be met. And it can be as simple as that every time. 
Recycling is not going to change the world overnight. But you can take individual action that forces our governments to take action. And that's what's going to get us to where we need to be. We need to tell our governments that we want less pollution, and we need our governments to enforce or create regulations that get us to that point. International policy and planning sets goals for countries around the world to meet, and it gives us something to rally behind. If we support climate action on a global scale, our national governments have no choice but to act on it as well. That's why it's so important to do so much more than just turn off our lights. There's so much more that we can do. A lot of the time, people don't know what to do about climate change. They hear about it, but they don't understand what it is or what the real effects of climate change can be. Some people don't know that the major emitters are creating a problem that less developed countries have to deal with. Like Ray Tang said earlier, a lot of the countries that are least responsible are the most impacted by climate change. Countries that are experiencing major weather changes are experiencing droughts or prolonged rainy seasons, and it's completely changing their planting and harvesting seasons, which, when experienced for years, can lead to a shortage in food and an increase in poverty, which then leads to emigration from their homes and into more developed countries like the United States. Gina Steffens wrote an article about a situation exactly like this in Guatemala. If you're interested in reading the full article, check out the link in the podcast description. These people have the exact problem that I illustrated above. They had been experiencing droughts for years, and now they can't produce enough crops to feed the people in their country, so they have to leave. Sylvia Johnson said something that echoed this tragedy in an interview with one of my classmates. Sylvia was born in Bolivia, and she has also lived in several other Latin American countries. She is a National Geographic Explorer, a Fulbright Scholar, and a Center for Filmmaking Fellow. Here's what she had to say. I think that we're seeing the pressures of climate change, even if people don't know, aren't able to make that direct connection. I think that there are more people moving than there have been in the past migrating. And I think those numbers are just going to increase. And I think there's also simultaneously more protectionism happening around the world, not just in the U.S., also in Europe and a lot of other places where people are much more resistant to outsiders. So, yeah, I think immigration is is much more of a hot topic and much more problematic now than it has been in the past. But I, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think things are going to get worse because more people are going to be on the move as climate continues to get disrupted. The problem with information coming out about climate change is that it's either misunderstood or it's too difficult to really interpret at a citizen level. Educating the public and raising awareness and understanding is a large part of Goal 13. To get a little more information on how to do this, I spoke with Sadie Texter, an interpretive park ranger from Bryce Canyon in Utah. Before you hear what she has to say, let me tell you a little bit about Bryce Canyon National Park itself. It's this gorgeous reserve located in southern Utah that's known for spectacular, crimson-colored, spire-shaped rock formations known as hoodoos and breathtaking overlooks that are at their most beautiful at sunup or sundown. At Bryce, you can get inspired at Inspiration Point or hike around the Navajo Trail or watch the sunrise from Bryce Point. It's this beautiful place, a place worth protecting. My name is Sadie Texter. Um, I'm an interpretive park ranger at Bryce Canyon National Park. 
I'm a seasonal ranger. So the job is like a six month period every, like this season in Bryce Canyon is April to October. So we t- like, this is my first season as a park ranger, but seasonals tend to move around quite a bit to different parks. And basically as an interpretive ranger, one of the main things I do is presenting interpretive programs to the public. So these are mostly outdoor talks and guided walks and they can range from anywhere from like 20 to 90 minutes. And the topics include, at Bryce at least, uh, geology, ecology, cultural history, fire ecology, and we have a big astronomy program at Bryce Canyon, so we do a lot of telescope nights. So all these different kind of interpretive programs. Before Sadie was a park ranger, she was a scientist. But as Sadie will tell you, she was doing a lot of research and writing research essays that maybe 100 people would end up reading. But by becoming a park ranger, she can impact hundreds of people per day. I always loved school, especially science, and definitely spending time in the outdoors. But um, I I don't know. I, I studied aquatic and viral science. I got my master's at Florida State University about a year ago now. And, you know, I had some amazing fieldwork opportunities, like traveling throughout Florida and even to remote parts of Alaska. But most of my time during my master's was spent in a lab, like I would just like lock myself in this lab for hours on end, you know, trying to get my experiments done, or I'd be behind a computer for hours on end trying to write my publication. So during that time, I felt like there was really a disconnect between all this hard science and the public. And whereas like a few hundred people might read my publications, uh, like, and just, this is just a select group of scientists. I really wanted to kind of bridge that gap between science and the public. And now with this job as a park ranger, I get to interact with hundreds of people every day. And it's just really fulfilling. As an interpretive park ranger, that word interpretive is really important because you're taking that information that's really hard to understand. And, and like, for example, some of the more complicated, like geological processes that, that have created Bryce Canyon, interpreting that in a way that's really fun for the public to learn about, and that hopefully makes it accessible to them. And once you increase the accessibility of that information, then they can really understand it. They can really start to care about it. At Bryce Canyon, Sadie fights climate change in seemingly normal ways but hopes that visitors will take the information they learn home with them. We're trying to incorporate those messages into every program. And then, you know, some of our programs might focus on ecology. So I have a rim walk here. It's about an hour long. It just walks along the rim of the canyon. And there are certain stops where we talk about how humans have impacted the landscape. So the first part of the talk is talking about like the cultural history of Bryce Canyon and how humans have changed this landscape over time. And one of the things I do talk about is things like, you know, fire suppression and climate change and how that affects the park. And then also, you know, at the visitor center, when we're handing out uh, backcountry permits, especially, we're trying to educate the public on these leave no trace principles, you know, leave it how you found it. Unfortunately, like it, climate change isn't this like localized issue that can be easily solved in one place. It's this big worldwide issue that's going to take, you know, international collaborative effort to solve. And so we've seen some of the effects of climate change, of climate change at Bryce Canyon and the surrounding area. And my goal is to help educate people on that. And so, for example, 
in Bryce, we see less nights of freezing temperatures and also like a prolonged drought season. And both of these things have cascading ecological effects. And so my, my goal, one of my goals as an interpretive ranger is to kind of spread the word about climate change. And when people are in Bryce Canyon, it's a good opportunity to do that because you take one look over the rim at Bryce Canyon and, and, you know, you just absolutely fall in love with it. It's just this beautiful, unique place. And so once these people feel connected to the landscape and they can understand how it's being affected by climate change, hopefully it'll inspire them or, you know, compel them to do something once they get home. Because most of these people are on vacation, right? But if they see this beautiful place and they can understand how it's changing because of climate change, then hopefully it'll inspire them to take action. Sadie works to bridge the gap between science and research and the public. It's important to understand what climate change is and why it's so important to stop it. And getting to see the parts of our world that are so beautiful and so worth protecting just might motivate us to take the stand that we need to. Climate change is not irreversible, yet. We need to take action, and to take action fast. We can't let climate action become a trend that we forget about. We have to keep bringing it back up. We have to work together and find solutions to every problem we face. And it's going to take all of us working together and fighting for change, whether or not we're supported by the government. It's gonna take all of us fighting for the same cause. The pursuit of happiness is a basic human right, and the pursuit is on. We can't rest until the air that we breathe is clean. The people with whom we share the world are aware, and until we put plans in motion to secure a future for our planet. Tune in next week to hear Bianca talk about Goal 14, Life Underwater, where she'll tell you how 3D printing corals can preserve coral reefs. This podcast was written and recorded by Caroline Dom. Thank you to Gina Steffens for your tips on being a compelling story writer. And thank you to Katie Thornton for lending your podcast creation skills. Thank you to Mr. Hayes for lending your digital lab for editing and creation purposes. Thank you to Rachel Hansen for your feedback and editing tips and suggestions. Thank you to Ray Tang and Sadie Texture for your incredible interviews. 